Batman and Commandy. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Chris Franklin. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Batman and Commandy from The Brave and the Bold, number 120, cover dated July of 1975. And Chris, this was a blind choice from me. So I was hoping it was good. It was, was this, that wasn't the first time you read it. No, no. I, I picked this comic book up at a coverless version of this comic up. I think at a flea market or maybe a, it was like a street fair type thing we had downtown So uh, when I was a kid. So I've, I've had this comic for a long time. Like I said earlier, you know, Brave and the Bold was one of my blind spots. It just wasn't carried where I was or else, you know, I started reading uh, American comics more like in 80, 81, which was the, really the tail end of it. So these weren't comics that I, I, I could be reading. So I read them through Showcase Presents or now digital, etc. So, but Commandy, I already liked, you know, so uh, if we preface with a reason or reasons why we like that guest character, what's so great about Commandy? Well, he was created by Jack Kirby. And that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> uh, he has a talking dog for a friend. What's not great about Commandy? Um, so uh, basically, I love Kirby. I haven't actually read as much Commandy as I should, but Same. since we knew we were going to do this, I have gone back and read several issues on top of the few I've read over the years. And I, I think I'm just going to do a read through. I, I think that would be a fun read through. So I think I'm going to do that on DC universe app, but the, you know, the visuals, even if they were purposefully lifted from planet of the apes, I, they're just so powerful. I mean, you know, that, that image of commandy rowing through the, I guess what was once, you know, the Harbor in New York. And then there's a statue of Liberty, you know, in the Harbor, like not, not in the Harbor, like it is now, but, turned over in the harbor even someone like me who isn't a real big fan of post-apocalyptic fiction you, you can't resist that imagery and uh, and i actually met commandy i first met him in his next brave and the bold appearance which was number 157 which i had like two copies of that comic because one i bought off the stand and two uh, the second one was one of those middle comics that you got in one of those whitman three packs uh, right. So it had the Whitman little W man in the corner instead of the DC bullet. So <laughs> coincidentally, I first met him in an issue of DC Comics Presents. Ah, so team up books all the way. I mean, we've talked about this before. This is how we meet a lot of these characters is is through team ups, right? Uh, for me, I mean, it's '70s Kirby, and I have an innate interest in that. But sadly, Commandy's the one omnibus book. I don't have. It was already out of print when I started getting them or going for insane prices. So I know less than I should. You know, of course I can read them digitally, but I haven't. And it's it's always easier, I guess, you know, have like a big book in your hand. You can have it at your bedside, you know, read a, a couple of issues every night or something. But I agree. It's really tempting. I, I would need to, I don't know, plug it into my blog or something and actually do a series on it, which I don't have time for. So I'm sort of waiting for the right opportunity, I suppose. I mean, from the beginning, you're right, the Statue of Liberty, that's a callback to Planet of the Apes. But there's so much invention, you know, beyond the gorillas and the Statue of Liberty. Other than that, it's it's insane. I mean, in the first issue, that Earth AD map, Earth after the Great Disaster, is just insane. And I, I don't even think the... They visited it all. I, yeah. There's still story potential just on that crazy map. 
Yeah. So, okay, let's talk a bit about the publication history here, uh, Commandies anyways. So apparently, Carmine Infantino had tried to acquire the license to Planet of the Apes for DC, uh, but failed. So he asked Jack Kirby for a series with a similar concept. Kirby had not seen the films, but he knew the rough outline and uh, had also done a very similar story called The Last Enemy in Harvey Comics' Alarming Tales that actually predates the original Planet of the Apes novel. I mean... He hasn't seen the movie and he's doing the the comic version. It sounds like it's 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> he, he he pitched a Dr. Fives comic strip or comic book at one point. He probably never saw that movie either. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, he also had an unused comic strip he created in 1956 called Commandy of the Caves. So he just stole the name. He brought all those elements together to create Commandy, the last boy on Earth. Uh, originally, he was supposed to create it and then fob it off to someone else, but because DC canceled Forever People, who knows why, he ended <laughs> up... I mean, we kid Forever People, but I, I really did love that book. Uh, yeah. So anyway, he ended up doing the book himself. Commandy, the last boy on Earth is actually Kirby's longest-running DC series. 59 issues between 72 and 78, with two more, The Victims of the DC Implosion, published in Cancelled Comics Cavalcade. It was popular enough to go from bi-monthly to monthly over the course of that time, and Kirby wrote the first 37 issues and drew the first 40, handing it off to Jerry Conway and Chick Stone, with lots of other writers and artists working on it until its cancellation. The 90s gave us an Elseworlds miniseries called Commandy at Earth's End, uh, and a Superman follow-up special, reinventing the concept to a point. But Commandy doesn't really rejoin the DC Universe until after Infinite Crisis, proposing uh, a bunker called Command D in Bloodhaven, followed by Countdown, where Buddy Blank, a.k.a. Omac, uh, has a grandson who is nominally fated to be Commandy, and Earth-51 being named as the Earth where the Great Disaster Happens. Commandy is finally seen in Countdown Arena, Wednesday Comics, Joe Kubert Presents, uh, and then in Final Crisis. However, the one real Commandy project is a 12-issue miniseries commemorating Jack Kirby's 100th birthday called Commandy Challenge. I've read that. Uh, which has different creative teams for each issue, giving one another a cliffhanger to solve, like the old DC Challenge. Mm -hmm. In other media, there was a Commandy animated series optioned in the 70s. Uh, but it never came about. Was Thunder the Barbarian the ultimate result of this? Do you know? I It, it feels I, like it should be. I don't know because I know Kirby did a lot of work on Thundar, but I think right. initially Alex Toth did like the initial designs of Thundar and Ukla and uh, uh, I can't think of the, the female lead's name. I can't think. I'm sorry. So I'm not sure that that's where that came from or not. But, you know, Kirby did a lot of work for Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera and early Marvel animation in the 70s. So I'm that it's possible, yeah. But Commandy does appear a couple times in Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, uh, and was given a DC Showcase short. So that's Commandy. Uh, I hope I mentioned all the highlights. I think you did. Let's just get into the synopsis. Uh, this one's called This Earth is Mine. It's written by Bob Haney with art by Jim Aparo. Here it is. Planet Earth AD. After disaster, animals rule, men obey, and now a human boy runs for his life and liberty over the Black Hills of what was once the state of South Dakota of a long-dead country, the United States of America. The last boy on Earth is being pursued by a guerrilla slave squad on horseback led by a familiar caped figure, Captain Bat. 
Leaving his Simeon team behind, Captain Bat catches up to Commandy, but practices catch and release, giving him a rope to climb. Up on the rocks, the boy finds a wild horse and mounts it, racing all the way to Mount Rushmore, a strange ancient monument protected by bear rangers who fear the gods within. From his hiding place, Commandy sees the bears bring offerings of food and hears strange music float from the mountain. It's the American National Anthem, but a rattlesnake startles his horse, and he is bucked off in time for Captain Bat and the gorillas to arrive and spot him. Commandy races up Mount Rushmore, and through an aurora-like energy field, the natives call the Death Belt. Captain Bat repels towards him off George Washington's chin, neither seems harmed by the supposedly deadly radiation. Commandy is grabbed by human hands and brought into a cave where humans live and have used magic to summon the Batman from their own personal Bible, an issue of Brave and the Bold circa 1975 BD, before disaster. They've been playing the Bears for Fools with lost technology, but they're at the end of their rope and have called for a champion to lead them to the promised land. And I arrive, much to Manton's delight and Commandy's dismay. I assure the boy I am not his enemy and unmasked to reveal I am a man, not an animal. I tell them of how I collapsed in the Gotham City of my era and was hospitalized. I saw my own body lying comatose as I drifted through time, materializing with a second body in the far future. I discovered ancient, abandoned planes and cars, filled with skeletons from some great disaster. It's a madhouse! A madhouse! While examining remnants of the Holocaust, a group of soldier apes accosted me. They thought I was an evolved bat creature, and I knew if they learned I was human, they would enslave me. I feigned the title of Captain Bat, and by defeating their leader Gorgo, lived up to it by usurping his command. I led the army to protect myself, and later Commandy, by steering them from him when I could. Matton tells us of how he used Native American magic and my image from a comic book to pull me into the future. His people are trapped in Mount Rushmore, the Bear Rangers having blocked their escape for decades. The bears don't dare cross the Death Belt, which is no doubt the result of damaged nuclear missile silos nearby. Humans of this time are impervious to its radioactive effects, and I managed to swing over it. The prospect of leading Matton's group past the bears was daunting, but Commandy appealed to my reputation, so I accepted the challenge. I used the radiation-powered tape recorder they were playing the national anthem on to rig up a microphone and projected my voice from Washington's face, declaring myself the god they worshipped. Gorgo and the apes were reluctant, but aided the bears in the task I gave them, dragging a discarded airplane across the valley. This kept their armies busy while Commandy and the other humans could begin their escape. Commandy starts shepherding the tribe through the pass, but their youngest, Garth, stupidly goes off trail and runs to the food offering where he is spotted by Gorgo, the gorilla slaver. Garth runs, but Gorgo is after him with a lasso, after having sent up a flare to alert his brethren. Garth was leading the apes and bears right to Commandy and the others, so I interrupted their pursuit by attempting to regain command as Captain Bat. Unfortunately, Gorgo recognized that it was my voice they had heard emanating from Mount Rushmore. They threw their lassos on me, those damn dirty apes, and dragged me behind their horses. I could only hope Commandy and the others had managed to make it to safety. Garth rejoins the tribe with his tail between his legs and tells everyone the slave squad captured Batman. Commandy heads over there as the group reaches the train tracks that lead to freedom and is nuzzled by his horse, who I guess liked him more than previously reported. Together, they race after the gorillas and free Batman from his drag rope and with the animal men running right behind, reach the lone caboose on the tracks at the top of the hill. 
They jump aboard and let the wagon go down at speeds that soon have the bears and gorillas in the mist. I mean, the dust. Matton tells me of how they plan to make rafts to float down river to find a new home. I offered Commandy a chance to return to my time with me, but he bravely chose to stay and fight to make his own world hospitable for man once more. I shook the boy's hand, and Matton used his Native American magic dust to return me to Gotham of the 20th century, where I woke from my coma to find Commissioner Gordon startled to see me. But I was even more shaken by my journey through time, and the harsh reality Commandy and the others must endure. Do no doubt to modern society's neglect and pettiness. We finally really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Ah, damn you! God damn you all to hell! Much thanks to Batman for helping me out on this synopsis. As usual. Thanks to Diedrich Bader, too, for the inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is an unusual team up, obviously. Batman's in the future, etc. Let's just look at the cover quickly before we get into the story specifics. How do you like this cover? I like this cover. I think Commandy looks insane in that headshot at the top. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the, the, the Kirby one. Yeah. He looks nuts. Uh, and I, I'm sure some kids recreated this cover with their Amigo Planet of the Eight figures and their Amigo Batman figure. I don't know who they use for Commandy, but I bet you somebody did it. So. <laughs> it's doable. <laughs> yeah, it's all in scale, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's the moment where Batman's being dragged behind some horses. So it's, it's a little bit Western, especially with you feel that you're in South Dakota, thanks to the uh, Mount Rushmore there, the horses. Commandy is more of a Tarzan type, still on a horse. So, I, I don't know, there's a real strong Western feeling to this one. That's true. But yeah, okay, so the story. I guess my main question is, what do we think of this? How do we rate this as a way to get these two heroes together? I, you know, I, I think the device works well. It, it reminds me a lot of how Dr. Nichols, uh, Professor Nichols, would uh, transport Bruce and Dick, and even sometimes Clark Kent, through time via hypnosis or later the hypnotic time ray, and oftentimes their bodies stayed in the present, but they had second bodies in the future, you know, or in the past, wherever they traveled to. So this kind of feels like that. I'm sure Bob Haney didn't know that because it's <laughs> it's continuity, so why would he, you know? But <laughs> Yeah, I, at the same time, I feel like maybe maybe he did know, but I mean, it's, it is canonical that in the DC universe, you can travel through time with hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what happens in Somewhere in Time or something? There's a movie yeah. that does it, right? Yeah, Somewhere in Time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's an odd idea. It probably comes from something somewhere. Somebody invented this at some point for movies and comics to actually do it. I don't I don't feel like those are were the original sources. So <laughs> Yeah. It was probably some science fiction, some pulp science fiction story and you know, uh amazing stories or one of the old pulp magazines or something like that, you yeah. know. Weird tales or something, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then I started talking about the cover, but for you, that wasn't the cover. No, no. The cover, like I said, I, I bought this. It, it had no cover. I don't know if this was some unscrupulous comic dealer who sent the uh, who sent, sent the cover, the cover back. for yeah. credit and then kept the comic. But yeah, it, the you know the, the the splash with Commandy, his full figure in the foreground running from Captain Bat and the Apes was my uh, that that was my cover. And in some ways, I kind of feel like it's not really a stronger cover because Batman's so tiny on it. But it 
it is a very striking image, and it's a good way to start the story. So Definitely, and it's got all the, the right narration on there that puts you in that world. Because it, we don't start with Batman in Gotham. We start mm -mm. with In Medias Rest. We're already in the epic, and we'll have to catch up to what's happening. And for a reader who doesn't really know Commandy, it's uh, what the heck is going on here, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good hook. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if, if you have been reading Commandy, then you know that there are humanoid bat creatures in Commandy's time. Like just about every animal, there's a humanoid version of that animal that's sentient and, and well, I mean, not they're all sentient, but you know what I mean? But able to communicate is more humanoid-like. And he fought them, like I looked it up, he, like beginning in issue number nine of his own book. So right. I don't know if maybe Bob Haney actually cracked open some commandies before he started. He almost had to in some cases because like, how would he know these characters if he wasn't reading it, right? Right. You, yeah, you need to, to understand that world. You right. know, it's not just the character, it's the whole world. So yeah, uh, yeah and the bats appear a couple of times. Um, according to the map, they're supposed to be situated in northern uh, South America. Mm. So this would be if this were a Batman, and they don't look like Batman. They look like they look like uh, like burly man bats. Yeah, is what they look like. I, I, they, they would be pretty far from from home, I guess. If they're really in South Dakota, then they're somewhere around the border of the the gorilla controlled lands, according to that map, which <laughs> I'm sure they contradicted a billion times. Nevertheless, <laughs> but he does. He, I mean, he does reference like, why is this Batman not? you know, flying after me. So, so yeah. he does have a, a memory of like, well, when was this um, around the thirties for the commandy series? Like commandy was going on. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think I looked it up and it was around issue 30 or something like 30, that. 30, 31. Yeah. yeah. Which means it was still Kirby. Yeah. I wondered, I kind of wondered, I wonder what Kirby thought of this because this is probably the first time he was written and drawn by anybody but Jack Kirby. So, you know, I wonder if Kirby, they even told Kirby, Hey, he's in, the new Brave and the Bold with Batman or Kirby was like, you know, found out about it later or something. The way DC treated him, you know, yeah, <laughs> they true. probably didn't tell him until after the fact. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, if you're going to be, if your character is going to be you know, written and drawn by other people, Jim Aparo, great choice mm -hmm. to draw any of the characters. Uh, and then Bob Haney is just as insane as Jack Kirby's writing. Yeah, I mean. And, it's a and, different and, insanity, know, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, Bob Haney's insanity is more on a plot driven level and, and Kirby's is more on just a sheer creative. How much how many insane new concepts can I shove in a comic? So, yeah, but they're coming from two different zany directions in their own way. But, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a solid, definitely one of the top teams at DC at the moment that, you know, so if you got to have somebody, you know, cribbing commandy. This is a good bunch to have. I mean, there's nothing Jim Aparo can't draw at this point in his career. No. And I feel like talking about how it kind of looks like a Western cover, uh, except for the costumes and animal people. But, but but still, you get all the horse sequences look so great. Yeah, and horses are hard to draw. I mean, I I can tell you that right now. In fact, I did some artwork for another character Jim Aparo once drew, the the Phantom. I, I, I drew uh, some toy packages for a Phantom action figure 10, 15 years ago. And the reference guide that they sent me from King Feature Syndicate, I, I don't know who drew this, but the guy drew the horse wrong. Uh, it showed the Phantom on his white horse, and he had an extra set of joints in his leg in his legs that okay. horses do not legs do not bend that way. So horses are hard to draw, even by professional artists. These horses look fantastic. So Jim Aparo, yes, can draw anything, and he had done some Western stuff at Charleston. And of course he had drawn the Phantom who rides a horse. So that almost looks more like 
classic illustration more than comics in a way. You know, it's like suddenly we're we're sort of doing nature artwork uh, mm-hmm. when we're doing the horse sequences. So it looks uh, really, really good. His bears in particular, if you took the clothes off of them, they just look like a really good bear. You know, <laughs> just, they, 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 they look really naturalistic. I mean, for a bear in a, you know, you know, military clothing, they, right. they look for bears dressed as uh, Fidel Castro or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, it was a missed opportunity to not put bears in like a, a Mountie hat. So it looked like a Smokey the Bear type situation. Yes. But. Yes. I agree. <laughs> It's too bad. But we get bears, we get gorillas, you know, they're really, Batman's only going to visit Commandy this once, or actually it happened twice. But, you know, so let's throw everything in there and the allusion to also bad people as well. So, you know, it's not just doing Planet of the Apes. It's a, it's a different world, you know, although the apes are very prominent. Yes. <laughs> what do you think of the Actually, their first meeting because Batman catches up to him. You know, he thinks obviously Batman is leading gorillas, and <laughs> so Commandy's running. But when they he catches up to the boy, he helps him rather than captures him. Yeah, I, I just don't. I know it would have thrown the plot off, but he couldn't have taken those few seconds to say, "Calm down, kid. I'm trying to help you here." You know, <laughs> so I mean, he just because Commandy's like, "Why is he trying to help me? I don't care why. I'm just taking advantage of this." He basically says. You know, the kind of life I lead, I've learned, you know, you take every advantage you can. He's given me a rope to climb. I'm going to take it no matter what his, uh, you know, what his motivations are here. But, you know, Batman just kind of points up, like, climb the rope. It's like, you couldn't talk. They, The apes obviously aren't that close. You know, I, I know it's it would ruin the plot, as Cindy would say. They, It's not in the script. That's why I didn't say it. So I'd say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I wonder if he, no, actually, Commandy talks to him in English. So I thought, you yeah. know, maybe if you thought, I don't know where we are, and th- this kid is maybe a subverbal or something, but it's that's mm-hmm. not the case. But they have a fight, a bit Marvel style. They have a fight at this point where a Commandy actually tries to, judo moves he learned from a book, but that's not, that's not going to cut it with Batman. <laughs> No. <laughs> Good on him, though. And I mean, to, to learn, you know, to have those tricks. And then Commandy is basically his real helper after that is that Mustang was suggested that it's like the last of the Mustangs. Yeah. A wild horse that he tames by riding him. And, uh, and then, and that's when he drives right to Mount Rushmore. And the horse comes back later. It's very sweet. Yes. But the horse also you know, jumps at the rattlesnake, et cetera. So he causes problems as well. Yeah, I thought that the panel with the rattlesnake spooking the horse, it's it's kind of a small panel. I mean, he doesn't say, oh, a snake. He doesn't call it out. If you're not paying attention, you might miss the rattlesnake in the corner. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, comics of the time usually explain what was <laughs> often what was in the panel, even if you didn't need it to. That's true. So it was kind of unusual for them to not do that here. But uh but yeah, he spooks the horse. Of course, the rattlesnake looks good, and the horse being spooked, you know, looks great. And the, it's a an, an nice upshot, and you know, then Commandy's back on foot again. Yeah, and then he goes through that radioactive belt, death belt. Yes, <laughs> because survivors <laughs> in the in this world are are sort of immune to the radiation because they've been living with it. And Batman jumps through it, uh, over it. He he swings, swings over it. it. Yes. Which I'll have more to talk about that later. <laughs> uh, well, one wonders if Batman being what is the status of a time traveling, you know, uh, hypnotized person? <laughs> like, yeah, how real is the body? And their body is also back in the past or or in the present, let's say. 
So is it a real body? You know, could he survive things in the time travel form? Like, I, I get that his soul or whatever, you know, if he dies in the future, he would die and never wake up from that coma. I imagine that. But at the same time, you know, what can he really be hurt? Will he come back with radiation burns, possibly? <laughs> what, yeah, <laughs> you know? what, what transfers <laughs> through the time travel, especially <laughs> since it's a magical way to do it. Mount Rushmore, this is sort of doing the Statue of Liberty, you know, with a different monument. Okay, we know exactly where this is, but also we're doing, in this case, a riff on, is it? Below the Planet of the Apes, whatever the, the, the first Planet of the Apes sequel, mm-hmm. that's the one where by the end they're under a mountain and there's people worshiping the bomb. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I feel it's kind of like that. We got some human refugees who are not savages like, you know, in the rest of the Planet of the Apes, who are not mute and have their, their little cult in there and they're practicing rituals. Uh, it's sort of like that. Yeah, and it, they're not they're not mutated like those humans in uh, beneath the planet. Beneath, of the Apes. That's I think it. that's beneath. Yeah, it, there is the radiation belt, and Batman does mention that there's nuclear silos. I think Kirby even refers to the Great Disaster as a natural one at one point in the comics. I don't think they ever come out and say exactly what it was, but apparently it's not. It wasn't necessarily a nuclear war, but it, it's like th- there's still. The disaster caused, you know, radiation leaks from nuclear weapons right. and power plants and and everything. So, you know, that's where you get things like this. Yeah. When you look at the map, there's a lot of like new continents and new islands. So that's that's not a nuclear bomb thing. It's it must yeah. have been a, a big shift in the Earth's tectonic plates or something. And, and so he meets people there. And uh, and these people, first of all, they've got Brave and the Bold comics in their possession. <laughs> And and they must have bored and bagged that comic for it to survive the great disaster, of course. you know. <laughs> it's mint. They may have slabbed it. It may have been slabbed. It looks mint. <laughs> and it is from two months prior in terms of Brave and the Bold as it came out. That's the uh, Batman, Wildcat, and Joker issue that I've covered with Dr. Ange on this very show, Once yep. Upon a Time. Yeah, Bob Haney. They're probably, you know, just because, you know, just like Bob Haney thought, the Wildcat was this all-important big gun DC character. They're probably, you know, the people of Commandy's time have, you know, cave drawings of Wildcat thinking he's some big hero because of this comic surviving. Just like Bob, you know, Bob Haney was constantly using Wildcat, even though I love Wildcat. I mean, he's a great character, but he was not a big character outside of the Brave and the Bold and a few, you know, random JSA appearances before All-Star Comics came back. No, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It could have been, the story could have been, oh no, Captain Cat. You know, Captain Cat and the, the, the gorillas are after me. Yeah. If it wasn't, you know, Batman's comic, obviously. Could <laughs> yeah. have been. My big problem with this sequence, if there is one, is Garth, the kid. Because it's not just that he's a moron oh, and he, yeah. he puts everybody in danger. Uh, it's that, is, should there be other boys yeah, good point. Should there be a boy that looks younger than Commandy when Commandy is, quote unquote, the last boy on earth? Yeah, I mean he does. He looks he looks younger and he acts younger. You know, he's got he's got freckles. Uh, you know, I think that's to make him look a little mm-hmm. younger. Not necessarily. You know, kids obviously adults have freckles, but that's uh, often a comic trope. He's shorter. Yeah, he kind of he's got curly dark hair, so he kind of looks like. Aqualad, and they call him Garth. So I don't. <laughs> he's drawn by Jim Aparo. So <laughs> poor Aqualad, he never gets any. <laughs> he never catches a break, even <laughs> even in a story he's not in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's always weird anytime that Commandy meets other people. Like I know there are yeah. other humans. The fact that he's the last boy on Earth sometimes makes it feel like he's the last 
human on Earth. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. But it's it's usually like, you know, he, he spends a lot of time with Dr. Canis and and uh, Ben Boxer, who's got that whole, you know, where he can turn into a, you know, into metal and all that stuff. So it, it's he's not usually around normal humans. Uh, if he is, there was the girl he was with early on. I can't think of her name that she, you know, Kirby, she didn't have a top on and Kirby, her hair covered up her <laughs> covered up her chest oh. usually, which was kind of wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how they got away with that back then. It is kind of odd. And, and I, and I'll have a, something to add to that in one of our later segments too, about the people. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, Batman shows up. He tells his story. I guess we believe it. I mean, th- this is a story that not only has hyper-evolved animals in the far future where Earth is, is more or less destroyed, etc. It's also a story where those people can use magic powder to, to make Batman time travel, you know, based on a comic <laughs> book that they have. So there's a real anything-goes situation going on here uh, but i do like how batman is ready to solve their problem because they've been using they've got like a cassette tape it just looks like a cassette tape and it's running on death belt energy which is a good thing because you know finding batteries in this landscape is probably a bitch but then so he, he adapts it he uses his bat karaoke <laughs> microphone or whatever it is and he makes the gods washington the presidents speak and then, the, so the bears are are prostrate. The apes are like, mm, no, mm, okay, we respect your religion. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, Batman asks them to bring that plane that he saw crashed. You know, when he first showed up. So he has them bring the plane to Mount Rushmore as they prepare to escape. I thought the the plane would feature in the finale. Yeah, me too. I mean, it ends up being a, like a train chase. So what's the plane really? You know. I, I thought maybe they somehow like Batman. I don't think he would like start the plane up maybe, but he might have, you know, got the plane running or, or there probably been no fuel or at least to glide off the top of the mountain or, or something, you know, like that to, to get him to safety. I just didn't know, but it's, it's kind of just a, it's a, it's a big red herring and for them and for the story, actually. Like drag the plane there. And then, I don't know, like load the people on the plane unseen and then have the plane yeah. drag back somewhere else. And, you know, the bears yeah. are just moving this thing around, but they don't realize because the bears don't know people are inside the mountain, you know, right. they're bringing offerings yeah. to a god, they think. And so they're bringing food and, you know, and, and humans are living off this food. I, I don't really get why Matt and the crew really want to leave. I mean, they have shelter. They are provided for by the bears. The rest of the world is a crap hole. Where you have to evade animal pursuers who want to enslave you, and you ha- have to live in harsh environs. I know, you know, I know the idea of being free, but they're honestly probably more free inside Mount Rushmore than they will be outside of it. If I look at page ten, where Manton is is sort of saying his reasons, we will rot in here. Like they're talking about, they live in the dark. They can't get any sunlight because if they go out, the bears will see them or something. We will rot here. Our numbers grow smaller until dot, dot, dot. So in other words, you know, they're feeding off the same gene pool, which might explain Garth. (laughs) But but they need to get out of there and find other humans because, you know, their their population is too small. Bad things are going to happen. Maybe they've had problems with childbirth, etc. I don't know. That's true. Dot, dot, dot. You know, it's 1975. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, they want to get out. If you look at the map, again, I bring back this, this map. To the west, there's like the Pueblo people or something. I think there's like humans there. 
and then okay. into the south, like Mexico, etc. That's the wild human preserve. So, mm. um, so there may be you know pockets of humanity where you might live with your own kind, more or less uh, in safety if yeah. you can get there. Sure. So th- that's Manton, and maybe he does. They don't really know. They're, I mean, they're stuck in this mountain for several generations, so yeah. they don't know. They don't know that it's the world is a crap hole. That's true. And and he he even laments that he didn't transport Batman to their exact location, but he got within miles over a distance of I don't know how long it was, but probably at least decades, if not hundreds of years. You know, so I think he did pretty good. You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I couldn't help it when he had Indian powder, as they say, in, in the DC universe, you know, that can give Apache Chief and Gigant their powers on the Super Friends, you know. And so <laughs> that's what I immediately went to. So I'm like, oh, that's that's just the thing in the DC, different versions of the DC universe is magic Indian powder solves all sorts of problems. That, that's what's missing here. A giant Batman rising from yeah, behind Mount Rushmore, swatting <laughs> apes. Batman wearing the face of George Washington as he starts swatting apes and bears around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Batman gets captured after this because Garth, Garth gets spotted. You know, the jig is up. Batman tries to, tries his flex again. Because he took over the apes just by being macho, beating up on, uh, on Gorgo, the sergeant ape. And saying he's a captain, so then they all follow, they all, you know, the hierarchy is uh, established there. And he tries that trick again, but Gorgo recognizes his voice from the karaoke machine. That's not going to fly. So he ties him up, they drag him behind a horse, and Commandy has to save him. It's unusual to see Batman get saved by somebody else from a death trap, you know. They're doing a good job of promoting Commandy in this book. I mean, it makes you... Like, okay, Commandy's a capable hero. Maybe I should read his comic. Really, Batman doesn't solve Commandy's problems in a lot of ways. He he helps those other people. But yeah, it, it's it's a nice bit. I mean, they're definitely serving Commandy well here. And the train. Okay. So what I usually do when there's a real location in a comic, I will go on Google Maps and I will drop a little, little man, you know, on the streets to actually see if it kind of looks the same. Uh, and in this case, I wanted to find that train. Okay. Are there tracks near Mount Rushmore was my my thinking. So there is, if you visit Mount Rushmore, you can also visit very close the uh, Black Hills Central Railroad, which has an, uh, a train from 1880 on it. Mm. So that's part of the tourist attractions in that area. I will say that Google mapping Mount Rushmore is next to impossible. It's, it's like every view from the street, you cannot see the mountain. So it's they really don't want you to see Mount Rushmore unless you've paid your your, your fare at the you know at the <laughs> gates or whatever, uh, and then walk to or drive to the location. But you can't drop a Google pin on Mount Rushmore and see it. Oh wow, I've never tried, not, so I didn't not know. Not in Google that's, Maps that's... view, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, this is a very weird hobby of mine, which is where I will quote unquote drive through cities I've never been to. Oh, well, no, that's cool. You know more about the U.S. than probably... Well, I usually <laughs> I, I usually go, you know, around the world or something. You know, it's, it's more interesting. Right. But in this case, yeah, so the, that those train tracks and that train, that old-fashioned train, are actually there. So, okay, good. You know, Bob Haney does his research. It's yeah. not just in crazy invention. <laughs> no, I mean, that, you know, Bob Haney often, he often has historical facts as, you know, the basis of a lot of his stories. And then he goes off in, into, onto Earth B. But, you know, it's, it starts out on Earth Prime. So, 
And then, okay, so they escape with the train, really just gravity, you know, just pull on the handbrake and and that outraces the animals. And then there's the goodbye, etc. I'm just wondering how Batman, like Batman offers Commandy a place in the 20th century. Why not come back with me to my time and live a normal life? I was very judgy. <laughs> how, you know? So like this, oh, well, we don't have enough powder for two people. But the way we've seen it, wouldn't there be a comatose commandy in the Great Disaster era? And that body would be really, really vulnerable. And then there's a commandy and, you know, so you don't know how this time travel stuff works, really. Yeah, good point. I mean, they're going to go back into Mount Rushmore and, and keep commandy in the mountain, basically, to... Uh, protect his body while he's traipsing around in a better time. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> As the blonde Robin. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then Batman wakes up. He, he might imagine it's all a dream. Like this is going to go into what did Grant Morrison call it? Like the black case book or black files. Or, yes. Yeah. Like this is going to go into those black files where I'm not sure it happened. Was I just tripping out or what? You know, what's because he does call it a trip. <laughs> You've been in a coma for days. Coma? More like a long trip, Commissioner, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a voyage of discovery. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you, you know, sounds like he was on peyote or something. Yeah, play, start playing in Agata de Vida right now, you know. Something <laughs> you know, and then he looks on, he looks at Gotham and he thinks, hmm, you know. I mean, you did it through a filter, a Planet of the Apes a marathon there. But it, it, you know, it's kind of like that. It's like knowing that civilization will fall. So yeah. That puts things into a certain perspective. But then Batman's got to think, well, wait a minute. There's the Legion of Superheroes time, too. So how's that work? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, no, but we can rebuild. Yeah, but right. It's, right. It's obviously not the same timeline. Which is why they, DC, undid it after post-crisis. Yeah. yeah. Too bad. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting that Gordon is waiting at, at Batman's bedside, but did he did he call Robin or does Dick have a term paper due? You know, he's in college at this point. So I just, you know, it's like, did Gordon like not inform the Justice League, you know, Superman? For days. Not, yeah, for days. Yeah, he didn't He didn't bother to, to, to tell anybody that Batman's been in, just laying around in a coma. And he didn't call the Atom to come crawling around in his body, like is what you usually happens in Brave and the Bold issues when when Batman's uh you know in a coma the atom comes and animates his body so <laughs> and actually I think that's the very I think the second episode of this show me and Bass talked about one of those instances where yeah. uh, the atom was the puppet master yes all right who fared better let's do our mini debate uh how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres is this a Batman story Chris, or is it more of a commandy story? And I think it's usually the question is location versus share of the action. You know, it's uh, he's visiting mm -hmm. commandy's world, but is it more of a Batman story anyway, just because Batman is, is more the hero of it? Your call. I, I think it's still more of a commandy story. Uh, you know, Batman adapts well uh, at first, but uh, commandy ultimately saves him. So mm -hmm. I think it's more of a commandy story. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, the world is so specific to Commandy. I mean, reading a Commandy story is really reading a great disaster story. So the fact that right. we're in the great disaster era, you know, Batman is just visiting, is just a tourist. And there is a tourist location. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A question we only ask in the Brave and the Bold segment, 
Do they know Batman's secret identity? Well, Commandy has seen Batman's unmasked face, but he doesn't know his name is Bruce Wayne. And th- that issue of Brave Bowl 118 from Earth 1 or, or maybe Earth B, is it from Earth 1 or is it the Earth Prime version? So there's probably no reference to Batman's secret identity in that one if it's from Earth 1. Well, confirmed. I checked back. There's no Bruce Wayne in uh, Brave and the Bold number 118. But Ted Grant's secret identity is totally blown. Oh, well, that yeah. Well, there you go. So maybe that's why Wildcat wasn't a big hero in the <laughs> <laughs> in the great disaster era. No, you yeah, didn't have the, so. the myth. <laughs> All right, cool moves. What is Batman's coolest move? And for me, it is what I will call the his alpha male powers. The, the ability to just take control of the gorilla squad, you know, just like that. You will follow me. All right, we will. Yeah, I agree. He, he, you know, Batman takes on Gorgo, and he, he used his full strength and, as he puts it, a karate blow that would kill a human being. And it's it's got the Jim Apparel atomic punch power. So, yes. Yeah. So, in other words, Batman <laughs> could kill with his fists, you know? Yes. So And he just reserves that for... You know, Clayface and people like that, you know, the big brutes. It kind of works with the, like, the, you know, in later years when Batman knows all these martial arts techniques that could kill somebody with just, like, like in the Ninja on the animated series with that touch. It's just, like, two fingers poking somebody in the right spot kills mm-hmm, them, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that same kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> what about Commandy's coolest move? He saves Batman, and even in the days before Bat-God, that was r- rare for him not to save himself, as I had mentioned, so. Uh, definitely some good horse action there, but throughout. Batman tames the gorillas, but Commandy tames the horse. You know, and you've never ridden a horse, because humans are apparently barred from... Riding horses? I wonder if that's a thing in Kirby's actual commandy books. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I, I know that like humans certainly have a you know a low status, slaves mm-hmm. and and cavemen, and that's that's sort of how they're they're played. I would believe that maybe there's a story where you see apes on horses early on when it was still doing Planet of the Apes a lot. That references that. I don't know. It's like yeah, you could imagine that maybe Bob Haney read a couple of issues and it's in there. You know. <laughs> You could probably yeah. go in and, okay, this is the issue he read as research. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> Unless he was a big fan of it. I mean, it's possible. He might have been. All right. Uh, dumb or weird moves. Uh, let's talk about Batman's. Uh, swinging over a radiation belt. I'm not sure the science checks out on that. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I know he, he swings his you know bat rope around the chin of Washington and swings over. I, if he had his grapple gun, I might be able to buy it a little bit more, but... I, he didn't have it in this era, but I, I, I'm still not sure that I'm not sure that checks out. It's certainly a silly <laughs> visual, but also, yeah, the radiation that's just like low hanging, like a little a mist. My headcanon is that maybe Batman thinks that's just what he he did, but I think he's maybe impervious to radiation as a time traveling ghost. Maybe. maybe for me, it's uh, is that he didn't change his voice when he was doing the the voice of of God. Like, change your, your voice, Batman. No one can tell you're Bruce Wayne or, you know, it's like, do the voice. Yeah. Do your Matches Malone voice. Do something, yeah. right? Do something different. At the yeah. same time, Gorgo doesn't <laughs> recognize the voice as the voice of Captain Bat until he sees Batman again. And, and Batman, maybe he should have recognized it in the first place. Nah, I don't think Gorgo's all that smart, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> Before they went to all the trouble of dragging a plane there, you know. That is uh, Batman's. What about Commandy's? I'm going to say Manton in the crew, his his people never appeared in Commandy's own book. 
And that's just because, you know, Kirby didn't write this story. But if you're going from a character perspective, you got to wonder why did Commandy abandon this newfound human tribe? Oh, yeah. So that's that's kind of weird. There's a missing story (laughs) where he leads them to the promised land. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's I guess it's pegging Batman as a literal Batman. He doesn't look like the man bats from issue nine through 11. I mean, he's a guy in a costume and nobody can see that. <laughs> yeah, It's a little odd. <laughs> Oddly enough, in that Brave and the Bold uh, episode, the animated Batman, the mm-hmm. Brave and the Bold with Commandy, the last bat on earth, the Batman are in it. They are in the b- location of the Batcave. Oh which is cool. And they instantly recognize that Batman is not one of them, that he's just wearing a costume. So yeah, well, they're their own kind <laughs> as well, but <laughs> all right. Finally, the friendly farewell, this team up tradition. How does this one rate? There's a handshake and an offer of refuge in a better time. And then of course there's, there's that final panel where he, Batman, you know, thinks good luck to you, Commandy. How do you think this one rates? Oh, I, I think it's definitely a very friendly one. There was an almost Wizard of Oz-like moment there. I'm going to miss you most of all, you know, Scarecrow. Uh, <laughs> but what about Matton? What about Garth in the – well, maybe not Garth because Natural Selection has it out for that guy. He's he's not going to survive that raft ride. There's no way. <laughs> no. He's dead. <laughs> he's not reaching the promised land. <laughs> no. no. Your old-fashioned Darwinism is going to take that kid out. That's just yeah, <laughs> I mean the whole tribe. If their if their gene pool was was corrupted, they're they're led by a, an extremely old man, and yes. the, the kid keeps uh, causing problems. They really do need Commandy to, to lead them somewhere. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break for a couple of promos, and then we'll be back with our special features. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time, all of them, on one team. Since there are so many of us. We have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLUcast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. This Christmas, hold off on those stocking stuffers to make sure you can fit a rolled-up issue of Amalgam's new blockbuster in the making. Blaze, the last boy in hell. It finally happened. Heaven closed the last of Lucifer's loopholes, preventing miners from ever being sent to hell. But Cameron Blaze went and got in anyway, selling his soul to win the dirt bike race that would be his last. Now, the youngest soul in Hades, he rides the blasted plains and burning mountains of the underworld, giving a black eye to any demon who dares challenge him. It's the most heavy metal title on the stands. Blaze, the last boy in hell. Coming down your chimney, Krampus-style, some Christmas. We're back, and our special features begin with the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect commandy team-up. What do you have? 
I want to see Commandy in the Teen Titans. Uh, you know, what if Commandy had taken Batman up on his offer? Would he have taken Commandy in as his ward? Would Dick Grayson become his big brother? Now, the Titans weren't being published at this point, but when they returned, what if Commandy was thrown into that mix? Since Lilith likes wild men like Gnark, would she be into the more sophisticated Commandy? Would Commandy have become a new Robin? And like you said earlier, imagine a blonde, long-haired Robin in the 70s. The mind boggles. Yeah, I would like to see that. I had Commandy with Tommy Tomorrow. Uh, I've been fascinated with this idea, you know, th- th- that they are one in the same sort of been hinted at, Tommy being who Commandy grew up to be if there is no great disaster, at least according to Crisis on Infinite Earth. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see an adventure where they cross over into each other's worlds and see what they've been missing. Nice. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> Who's brave and bold next? As we explained last time, this might be an indexing show, but it's going to jump around as inspired by the issue we're looking at now. So every episode will explain the thematic logic between the episode's guest star and the next. So, Chris, it's your turn. Where to now? Okay. Well, we're sticking to Gotham City of the 20th century, so no more time travel, but we're staying in Kirby country with issue number 109 and special co-star Etrigan the Demon. Nice. I do like the demon quite a lot. And that one, I do have the omnibus. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we'll be reading in about four months. Now it's time for feedback on our previous episode, Together, in which we covered Brave and the Bold, number 182, starring Batman and the Robin of Earth 2. So uh, let me start here with a message from Alan W. Wright, the bold outlaw, says I had a number of Batwoman stories from Batman from the 30s to the 70s, and also the Batman family issue where Batwoman teams up with Batgirl, so it was great to see her included again. I think this is where I learned of the Earth One's Kathy Kane's death. That issue where Batwoman teams up with Batgirl was just covered on Batman Family Reunion. That's true. And the last episode of Who's Hot and Who's Not, the girls gave Batwoman a unfavorable review. They did, surprisingly for me, but I, I get why they did. But I, yeah, it was it was kind of shocking. Yeah, kind of my <laughs> fault for concentrating on the you know the original '50s stories of Batwoman, where it was very sexist, and not yes. the '70s stuff where you it was she was she was kind of redeemed and made more of a character. Yes. Well, we got a comment from Doppelganger. Robin was probably still a little miffed that Batman and his Justice League allies killed in quotes, him and his Justice Society pals back when the Boy Wonder was briefly a rival of Mr. Zero, the Icicle, Justice League of America number 123 and number 124. Yes, that's that's the one where Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan are the villains of the, well, Carrie Bates is anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's like my least favorite <laughs> JLA-JSA crossover. But anyway, uh, even though we're two Robins in it quite a bit. Uh, Hugo 2 using a Batman robot in the Batcave to disorient Robin 2 mirrored Hugo 1 using a Dick Grayson robot in the Batcave to disorient Batman from Earth 1. Yes, uh, that was in the uh, the uh, Jerry Conway, Don Newton run of Batman and Detective when Hugo Strange came back. And I remember Dick like strangling Bruce with a with a wire as he was coming out of the shower drawn by Don Newton. That was pretty wild scene to see in a comic book in the 80s. <laughs> but he was a he was a he was a robot created by Hugo Strange. <laughs> I like that people can just throw you know, random details about a Robin of Earth 2 story, and you know immediately which issue. I, ap- I appreciate your expertise. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, uh, David A. Scuderas wrote in and said, Great job, citizens. Brenner can't write a bad story. And for sure, Apparel was still kicking ass at this time. Looking forward to the next one in 
November? It was. Yes, it was. Yeah, it is November. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, then we have Rob Kelly, never heard of him. He says, I will never be able to look at the classic 1950s Batmobile now and not think of the Homer mobile. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Ruined it. Just the Sheldon Maldoff drawn one, not Dick Sprang. I love Sheldon Maldoff, but he. His version of that car does not look good. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I would not say that this is my fave comic of all time. We all know what is. It's definitely in the top 20. I distinctly remember buying this at uh, 7-Eleven, pedaling back to my house and laying on the floor of our basement and reading it. Only dimly aware of the individual names who made up the credits, I do also recall thinking, wow, this Alan Brennard guy is pretty good. Very, f- <laughs> very fun and engaging episode, even though I have read this issue hundreds of times. Yes, and we have covered it on the network many times, as well. but as Shag pointed out, yeah, but but we covered it best, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, we heard from Rob McCarthy who wrote in. Uh, here's some select uh, things he said. Chris, wasn't there a lightning knocks Batman into another Earth before they even named Earth 2? I read it somewhere dang showcase or other and then alan w wright writes back in and says i think there was a 1960s story where batman or robin jumped earth over to earth 2 to meet a teenage cal l uh isamu yukinori answers that sounds like a story in world's finest number 136 which was sold a few months after the flash's third visit to earth 2 in flash number 137 and one month after justice league of america number 21 which first used the name earth 2 according to mike's amazing world so yes, there definitely there there was a story like that, and uh, yeah, so there was there's quite a bit of, and I couldn't help but think, you know, there's a, I think I brought it up, but anytime there's an electrical storm that causes people to transfer from one Earth to the other, I go to Star Trek Mirror Mirror and that ion storm. So that's right, right, yeah. So it's it's storms <laughs> for another universe. It's so-called Indian powder. For time travel. All right. My favorite is the vault Mount Vesuvius erupting like in the Super Friends Universe of Evil episode. That's a good one, too. <laughs> uh, rocks of the world. All right. Ido Bosnar says, Brave and the Bold is truly one of the best uh, single issues of this. I mean, he means 182. Uh, is truly one of the best single issues of the series and among the best Batman stories. The only thing that prevents this one from being my favorite issue of Brave and the Bold is that the title goes to... Brave and the Bold number 197, the Earth 2 Batman-Catwoman team-up, which is quite possibly my favorite ever Batman story. Uh, agreed, and that's another Alan Brennert story. There you go. So. <laughs> it's a great one. Martin Gray writes in, What everyone said, this is one of the best DC comics of all time, a gorgeous, heartfelt, instant classic. The only thing I even vaguely disliked about the comic was that Robin logo, so rightly noted as subpar by Chris. But now even that is such a part of the comic that it would be weird not to have it. Yeah, I agree. I think that looks like something Jim Aparo just, you know, he was a good letterer, obviously lettered almost every issue of Brave and the Bold he mm. drew. It looks like something Jim Aparo created on the fly, I would guess, because it looks like some of his lettering on like his splash pages and things like that. I kind of wish they'd used like, a, I think I said, like one of the classic Robin logos with just X, you know, scrawled in over boy next to boy wonder but they didn't it's okay but it's part of it now like martin said uh you talked about uh, batman family reunion earlier half of that paul kien uh, has this to say he says echoing everyone else great episode about a great comic on the timing of earth one versus earth two in my head canon there were definitely adventures that happened to both Batman. I always assumed that Earth-1 Batman had some adventures before he changed his costume to add the yellow oval. I believe there are some in-story references to that, Untold Legends of the Batman, maybe. So I never questioned the existence of a Batwoman and Batgirl with a 
hyphen, on both Earths, but your mileage may vary. I did not recall that one of the items animated by Hugo Strange was the giant top from the only appearance of the spinner. Strangely enough, the story was reprinted in Batman Family number 8, and our episode of Batman Family Reunion dropped that week, which four months ago. P.S. This is a great format, Siskoid. I love all the team-up books, and getting to each of them every few months with your all-star co-host was a great idea. Well, thanks, Paul. I really love this format. I mean, I, I enjoy listening to the other segments that you do with uh, the other co-hosts that I'm not on. So I'm, I'm digging this show as both a listener and a participant. So it's great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for teaming up with me, Chris. Uh, tell people what else you're working on at the moment. Well, we've been taking a bit of a rest, recharging my neck bolts after our annual House of Frankenstein series on Supermates. But Cindy and I will be fully recharged when we return to JLU cast with a special episode covering statics team ups with Justice League members in his own Static Shock animated series, and that will soon be mm. relevant to Justice League Unlimited proper as we eventually cover the season one finale. And we also will now, I can announce that here, we are working on, uh, as a network, a bonus episode of Cast as a tribute to Kevin Conroy, of course, the voice of Batman who we lost last week as we record this. Yes, and a reminder that we do have a Patreon, so if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we are proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, The Bold Outlaw. We do enjoy reading your thoughts, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or find us on Twitter while it exists at FW Podcast. We'll read your comments on this issue when Chris is back with us. But next month, I'll be here with our friend Ryan Daly as we continue his coverage of Marvel 2N1. And it's also our Christmas special. Ooh. Think about what story that might be. Uh, and on mm. that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team up. Because after all, justice is a team effort. Damn you! God damn you all!